0: Alright, so nice to be up here. I haven't been able to preach in a, a little bit of time, and so it's just really nice to be back here. Before we get started, though, I, wanted, I have another announcement. I know we already had announcements. I'm sorry to bombard you with another one, but this Saturday, we are having Prayer in the Park, and so I just wanted to really emphasize this. That's why we saved it for the beginning of this message. Prayer in the Park is happening. It's Instead of our open prayer time, which we normally have, where we open up this sanctuary and we let you come in for about an hour and just pray, we are asking you to come instead to the community park and we've done this before we have a handout um, that we just make available to you and we encourage you to walk through the park and to pray specifically over different areas over different needs in our community as you walk through the park and go to different key points you don't have to follow that but if you would like to it's a great way to kind of be specific and intentional in your prayers then we'll come together all together at the end of that hour and we'll pray together right in the amphitheater area at the anthem community park if you're Familiar with that, So I want to encourage you. The weather is beautiful right now. Come on out 5 o'clock on Saturday, and we'll just be enjoying that hour praying through the park and then coming together and gathering um, right around 6 o'clock. So if you have any questions, come see me or Sheree. She has some information for you as well, and we're really excited to be able to do that. So, um, you know, with Halloween right around the corner, I actually remembered a story um, earlier, and it's actually from my junior high years, and I am not proud of it. And so I want to preface This story by saying first that Jeremy and I believe that when it comes to ghosts and witches and some of these very clearly evil things that are being celebrated, that that is something that we want to caution you as your pastors to be very careful and to guard your hearts. So I say that to say that I have something in my junior high years I was not proud of that comes down to this. Uh, My sister was having a sleepover with her friends. And um, I am the oldest of five, so I am the protector. I am the uh, mother figure to my siblings. I would never want to hurt them except this time because I had a good friend of mine who, um, her name was Lindsay, and she was uh, the youngest child in her family. So she didn't really understand this whole protecting your siblings thing and watching out for them. She thought it would be fun. Um, If we went ahead and tried to scare my sister and her three best friends who were staying the night at the house and everything inside of me as that older protector is like, no, I would never want to hurt my sister. But then she's like, no, it'll be funny. It'll just, it'll be innocent. And, you know, I was like, I really don't know if I should, but, you know, maybe... I'll compromise. Maybe, okay, just a little scared. Nothing that bad, right? And she's, oh, no, no, no. If it gets bad at all, we will will stop. We will not scare them too badly. I'm like, okay, it better not be too bad. Well, then, of course, it got worse. So Lindsay decides to tell them a story before they go to bed, a ghost story about their grandma or or someone's grandma who um, goes and rocks in this old antique rocking chair that I have in my living room. And she rocks in this rocking chair and says, Who stole my teeth? Who stole my teeth? Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? Okay, that's the story that she tells, but she tells it in this really scary voice. Who stole my teeth? That's my scary voice. And and so she's telling the story, and all the girls are like, you know, they're like elementary, we're junior high. And so we know so much better, you know. And they're just like, t- like oh my gosh, that's such a scary story. Well, then we don't tell it. So then I'm thinking, how did I get here? Like, I'm telling a ghost story to my, I mean, we're not even allowed to talk about ghosts in my house. And here we are, like, I'm trying to terrify my sister and her friends. I'm, I'm feeling really guilty right now. But we're already so far into it. Because now, Lindsay has tied this, like, fishing line around the old antique rocking chair. And we've ran it all the way into the living room. And I'm like, I really feel like, how did I get here? What am I doing? Like, my whole life is, like, like just so confused at this moment, you know? It's just so not the older, mature, uh, responsible sibling thing to do, right? And so I have this fishing line, and Lindsay convinces me, which, again watch your friends, right? Lindsay convinces me that I need to um, hide behind the chair in the other room. But I can't see the girls. And she tells me, I'm going to hide myself so I can see the girls and I can see you. And I'll give you signals when to pull the chair, you know, and make it rock. And so I'm sitting back there and I'm like, like, she's giving me signals. okay, hey, make it rock, make it rock. And I go slowly. And then I go a little bit faster. And she's telling me, and I'm thinking, okay, surely she's going to tell me if this gets too scary for these girls, right? And of course, she doesn't. She doesn't tell me it gets too scary. And I'm thinking, what? And I, and all of a sudden, the girls are like in a ball, huddled together, like crying hysterically. And I'm thinking, how in the world did I get here? You know, how did I go from trying to be the responsible older sibling to like terrifying and traumatizing these children? You know, how did I go? How did I spiral downward so quickly? quickly. And then the next day I'm thinking, how did I spiral so quickly? Because now I'm apologizing to these children and to their parents for like sending them home traumatized. It was like, and I was traumatized. I think that was probably the worst part. I just felt so bad. Uh, But all these things, it happens so quickly. How many of you have ever experienced a downward spiral? It starts maybe innocent, maybe one thing. Yeah, it just goes farther and farther and farther. And all of a sudden it goes farther than you ever expected it to go. And you're like, how did I get here? How did I get here? And maybe for you, your spiral looks different. Maybe it started with a simple do-it-yourself home, home repair, right? And then it turned into like a whole house renovation project, like a whole remodel. That's what your spiral turned into, right? Or maybe, ladies, it's like that idea, of I'm just going to tweak the recipe, right? But then it's like three days later and you haven't slept and you've baked like 100 cookies and you are going to get this recipe right. I know some of you, I know that's not me, but some of you out there, that is you, and I know that. And I'll take your cookies, bring them on over, I will enjoy them. Um, but Jonah found himself in a spiral as well. There are some spirals that are a lot more serious than cookies or remodeling or even stupid ghost stories with a rocking chair, Sometimes our downward spirals can be about a bad relationship. Sometimes it's an addiction that kept pushing you further and further than you ever thought that you were going to go. And that's where Jonah finds himself, in a downward spiral. And we're going to look at his story this morning, and we're going to see as we look at his story, this constant tension between God calling Jonah up calling him to come towards him, to arise, and sin constantly pulling Jonah back down. So before we do that, though, I know, first of all, sometimes we read stories like Jonah, and I know Pastor Jeremy introed the book of Jonah last week, and we treat this story like, oh my goodness, Jonah is so crazy. I would never... I would never run from God. I would never disobey such a direct call from God. I would never let myself get swallowed by a giant fish, right? We say things like that. Well, maybe you wouldn't let yourself get swallowed by a giant fish, but minus the details like the fish, is it possible that Jonah's story is actually our story too? Is it possible that whether we like to admit it or not, we all have been in these downward spirals of rebellion and disobedience at different times in our lives? Even as Christians, we can find ourselves where we may not have expected to be. And we look around and say, how did I get here? We're quick to justify ourselves. We're quick to make excuses. But the Holy Spirit this morning is trying to get all of our attention and trying to get Um, help us to understand and see the downward spirals in our lives, just like Jonah, just like Jonah was sinking deeper and deeper into our sin. He wants to warn us against that as well this morning. So last week, Jeremy did talk about the person of Jonah and the call of God that he had on his life. He was a prophet of God. He was a recognized prophet of God. He spoke um, to the Israelites during, um, or the Hebrew people during a very Um, prosperous time. So he was a popular prophet. Not many prophets got to be popular in that time, but he probably, um, you know, probably did pretty well for himself. And he actually, but then God called him not to speak to his people this time, but suddenly God called him to do something completely out of the blue. Not to go to the Hebrews and to tell them a message from God, but he called Jonah to go and give a message to the Ninevites to his enemies, to travel 500 miles north to his enemies and to preach to them. And Jonah didn't like that idea. He didn't think that was so great. But you know what? Noah, sorry, no, I keep calling him Noah. Jonah, let's get that right. That's <laughs> a few hundred thousand or whatever. All right. Jonah knew the voice of God. He was a prophet. There was no mistaking that he had heard God. But now he had this moment of decision. Would he obey God? Or would he run away? What is Jonah going to do? So let's pick up in verse 2 in chapter 1. It says, arise, go, this is God's called to Jonah. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose, not to obey, but to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This was Jonah's chance. This was his opportunity to make history and instead to be obedient to God and and to be a part of what God's great plan was. And instead, he ran. And you need to understand, when you are running from God, we think we're running from God and we're running like flat. We're running on the flat surface. We're just running away as fast as we can, but there is no running flat away from God. There is only running down. You are automatically going downward into a spiral every time that you are running from God. And we start seeing this in Jonah's life immediately. It says he went down to Joppa. Joppa is geographically lower than where he was at. And then it says when he got to Joppa, he goes down to the ship. This is just the beginning. It gets, even, it gets even worse for Jonah. But this is the beginning of the spiral of disobedience, of going downward. And some of it, again, with Jonah, it's not even like a subtle, he's not even pretending to obey God. <laughs> Can we look at that map real fast? Okay, if you see, Jonah is, oh, let's just say he's in Joppa right there. Nineveh is about 550 miles north. And Tarshish is 2,500 miles north the opposite direction, okay? This is like, we, I always picture like, hey, let's go to this city instead of this city. No, let's run as far away as we possibly can. And if you remember in this time, this was the end of the world that they knew. He ran as far as he could run. He ran literally to the end of the known world so that he could get away from what God was calling him to do. Most scholars do believe, we don't know for sure, that Tarshish is in that general vicinity. And it was all the way, like you said, it would be like us hopping on a plane to go to Timbuktu and being like, I don't like that, God. I'm out of here. And I'm going to book a flight as fast as I can get. And I'm going to go as far away as I can from whatever you are calling me to do know I wonder if he just didn't want to go to Nineveh why didn't he just stay home you know why did he go all the way over there or why didn't he just go to a closer city I mean he could have stopped anywhere along that route but no he had to go all the way there do you know why because Jonah was not running from Nineveh he was very clearly running from the presence of God It said twice in the verse that I read earlier that he was running from the presence of God. He didn't want to obey God. He wanted to do his own thing, and so he ran. And as a prophet, he understands. I mean, he knows God. He understands God better than almost anyone else in this time. He knows that he cannot hide from God's presence, right? God is everywhere at all times. He knows that he cannot hide from the omnipresence of God, but he is trying to get away from the manifest presence of God. And if you remember, in that time, the manifest presence of God is in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where God's presence rests. That's where God's presence sits. And that's where you can experience God. That's where God would speak to people. That's where God would move. That's where you could feel the presence of God. And that is what he wanted to get away from. He wanted to get as far away as he could. He wanted no chance that he was going to have to come face to face with God and deal with that. He didn't think... It was worth the cost. Obedience wasn't worth the cost. He assessed the cost of what God was asking him to do, and it was too great. Going to Nineveh was difficult and long. It was dangerous. It was his enemies. It was offensive to him that God would even ask him to go to this brutal city and, and warn them somehow of his, of, their impending, of God's pending wrath. And he decided that he would rather turn his back on God and walk away from his faith because the cost was too high that God was asking him to give. He didn't want to give it. But do you know something that Jonah didn't take into consideration? Something he never thought of. What was the cost of his disobedience? Sometimes we think about, I don't want to give what God's asking right now, but what does it cost him to disobey? Because disobedience and sin always costs you more than you think it will. It always costs you more. We read it earlier. Jonah had to still travel. He didn't stay in his little town. No, he went to Joppa. And then he had to pay for a cruise to go around the world, right? And this would not have been cheap in this day. It wouldn't have been still not cheap to go on a Mediterranean cruise. I mean, it was expensive, right? Some scholars may have think that he even chartered his very own boat Just to himself so he could get away as fast as far as possible now again he's a prominent um prophet possibly he did have some wealth it's it's maybe it's maybe possible but regardless this would have been an expensive trip and it would be very very costly and disobedience always is disobedience always is The devil is like a slippery salesman. You guys have seen people like that, right? They want to make a deal, and he'll come in and be like, this is the deal you can't refuse. This is going to be so cheap, it's not going to cost you anything. And then he never discloses the full price, though, until you get to the end, and you're already on board, and you're sailing away from God's presence, and suddenly you look into your wallet, and you realize, that cost me everything, even my relationship with God obedience costs something as well. I understand that. Obedience costs, God wants everything. God wants our whole heart. He wants complete surrender. So I'm not trying to say that, that God's not gonna take anything either, but here's the thing. Either way, you're gonna pay someone. And by default, when you choose disobedience to God, then you are choosing sin and the price tag that comes with it. And for Jonah, the cost was not just the cost of its ticket. It was a lot more than that. So let's keep reading in verse four. It says, the Lord hurled, I love that, he hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. He's not hiding it. He's running away from God. God sends this huge storm that even scares the professional sailors all right, these guys are Phoenician sailors. They would have been the best of the best in their time. They were experts on the high seas, and yet even they recognized this was no ordinary storm. So much so that they stopped relying on their experience and and, and stopped relying on their skill and they just started to pray to any God that they knew, desperate to try to find safety. And this is where we see that the disobedience spiral is not only costing Jonah, but it's also costing other people around him. Your disobedience has consequences. Our disobedience has consequences that extend beyond ourselves. The sailors didn't do anything to cause this storm. And yet now they are fearing for their lives. They are throwing their stuff overboard, their cargo, maybe precious cargo overboard. But instead of letting God use this storm to get his attention, instead of possibly letting the fact that his life might be on the line, instead of using the fact that the crew's life might be on the line, instead of letting that wake Jonah up, instead he decides literally to do the opposite and he goes to sleep. He literally goes to sleep. And here we see more of Jonah's downward spiral. He went down into the boat, and then he lays down to go to sleep. He's continuing to get pulled away from God and deeper and deeper into his disobedience and into his sin, and it's destroying his life. But unfortunately, Jonah's not even noticing because he's asleep, right? How many times are we guilty as a church, as individuals, of growing apathetic and spiritually sleeping when there's storms that are raging all around us. Maybe God's trying to use those storms to get our attention. Maybe he's trying to wake you up from your spiritual slumber and help you realize that you're sinking or that maybe you're, you're spiraling and you need to reach out to God. Have you ever thought about the fact that we don't realize that we're asleep until after we wake up? I mean, I think about this. Sometimes I'm dreaming, and I'm convinced. Oh, I know I'm not dreaming. In my dream, you know, you, you know you're awake. Until you wake up, and then you're like, oh, wait, no, I was definitely not awake. That was definitely, cats were not flying. That's definitely not true. You know, and so you wake up, and you realize, okay, that wasn't real. But church, when you experience the storms in your life, and when we see the storms in our nation, when we see these storms in our world, we need to make them jolt, let those jolt us awake. Make us realize that we have been asleep. Because it needs to bring us to our knees in prayer. It needs to drive us to action. It needs to bring a renewed commitment to obedience. And isn't it interesting, it's so interesting to me, that God sends a pagan sea captain to, again, try to wake Jonah up and to speak the truth over Jonah at this very moment. In verse 6, again, I'll read it in the NIV. It says, he says to Jonah, Jonah how can you sleep get up and call on your god maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish the world is sometimes calling out to us how can you sleep get up and call on your god don't you see don't you see what's happening all around us don't you see that we're going to die Other translations, the captain tells him, arise. That's echoing God's call to Jonah again. Arise, get up. Stop going in the downward spiral that you're in and get up. Look up. God is continually calling to Jonah to arise and to go up. And he is calling us to arise and to go up and to follow him. But apathy or staying asleep on the bottom of the boat is choosing to stay in that downward spiral. But to break that spiral, church, we have to arise. We have to get to work. We have to arise and get on our knees. We have to take the effort and be intentional. And it takes faith. It takes confession. It takes humility. It takes actively working to break those cycles of addiction and to break those cycles of anxiety and to break those cycles of anger or any other life-controlling issue, any other life-controlling sin. It's not just for you, but it is for your friends. It is for your church. It is for your family. It is for your marriage. It is for the next generation. That's why we arise and we go up because God has a message for someone that you need to give. And he's waiting for you to give it. But you need to arise. You need to wake up and recognize that I am not where I need to be right now. But the good news is just like your disobedience can impact others around you, your obedience can impact others around you as well. It's amazing. Don't forget to count the cost. Because I would rather give my full life and my full heart and my full submission and obedience to Jesus than to let the enemy take me captive through sin and, dis- and disobedience. I would rather give my full heart to Jesus than to let the enemy take me captive. And that's exactly what will happen if we do not conti- if we continue in that spiral, if we don't end that spiral. So not only does that spiral cost you more than you think it should, but there also that disobedience spiral it traps you, it traps you there. So let me read in verse and pick up in verse 11. It says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So again, Jonah's kind of come clean. He's told the guys what's happening. They all know he's running from God, uh, but he says it was getting rougher and rougher. They asked him what should we do to make the sea calm down for us, and he says, pick me up. And throw me into the sea. And he replied, And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And instead the men did their best. These are good, good men. Men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah... And they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So as this storm rages on, the sailors do the equivalent of like drawing straws to find out, you know, whose God is mad at them, right? And Jonah's name is drawn. And now Jonah is trapped. Now he has been called out. He's exposed. He's no longer hiding the fact that he is indeed living in disobedience. And it appears that the only choice that Jonah has now is that he has to die in a shipwreck or he has to die in the ocean. There's not many choices right now. He is a prisoner. He is locked literally in the consequences of his own disobedience. Now, the sailors don't want to hurt him, but eventually it gets so bad that Jonah is now telling them, just throw me overboard. At least you can save your lives. And so they they eventually do it. And Jonah spirals down yet one more time. It says he goes down into the sea. Don't lose sight of the truth about sin. Not only does it cost you more than you thought it would, but it will make you its prisoner. It will trap you and it will make you think, how did I get here? The spiral starts small. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give into this temptation this one time where just, I'll just compromise this time, next time I won't do it. And while we may feel good for that moment, we ultimately feel so guilty and we feel so much shame. And that shame then keeps us from being able to turn from God. I and mean, we are able to, but we don't feel like we can turn to God. And then instead of turning to God, we feel so bad and so guilty that then we say, well, now I just need to do that sin one more time so that I can just get a little bit of, of, of a good feeling just to kind of help ease that pain, even just for a moment. But when we do, we discover that that sin no longer has enough strength to numb us. And so now we have to escalate that sin and we make excuses and we justify it and we begin to make more compromises which only then increases the shame and the guilt that we feel which only then makes us go farther and farther away from God and then we turn back into sin do you see how this cycle progresses over and over again do you see how the devil traps us in this sin and the further that we follow this downward spiral the harder it is to get free there's other types of spirals too one of them plays out purely in our minds Sometimes us church people, we lie these are the times that gets us. We don't feel as bad because we're not technically, you know, physically doing something, but it happens in our mind. The sin it starts with an offense or it starts with a lie from the enemy. And instead of taking that thought captive, like we're instructed to do as Christians, we allow that thought to take us captive. And until that lie or that until then, we let that lie grow or that offense grow to where it becomes so prominent in our lives that it becomes a belief and it becomes a stronghold in our spirits. And suddenly that lie or that offense in our lives, now it begins to impact the things that we're saying. And now it begins to impact the the things that we are doing, our behaviors. And suddenly we are saying things and we are doing things that we never thought that we would say, that we never thought we would do. And we'd be like, how did I get here? But that's how sin works. It slowly spins us around and around and around in its spiral until we are trapped and we are empty inside. And that is where Jonah found himself. He was completely undone. He was literally drowning in an ocean. But there's one more important truth to understand about downward spirals because even when your life is swirling out of control, God's love remains. Even when your life is out of control and everything is gone, God's love isn't gone. It's still there. It says in verse 17 that now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. Here's Jonah's downward spiral. It comes to an end. He is now digesting in the gut of a giant fish. And yet, can you see God's grace in it? Can you see God's love even in that? His life was spared because God loved Jonah. God sent that storm as discipline. Yes, it was discipline. But he loved Jonah too much not to send that storm. He loved Jonah too much not to pursue him when he ran away. See, if you see the mercy and love in Jonah's story, can you see God's mercy and love in your story? Because it's there. Sometimes the enemy wants to rewrite our stories to show God's anger, to show God's vengeance, but do you see his love? Do you see his mercy that runs through the entire story of your life? I actually uh, thought about um, a man named Sam Huddleston when I was thinking about the story about Jonah. He was a young man and um, who came from a broken home. His parents were divorced by the age of eight, but before that, his mom had abandoned them, and he was really raised by a single father. And he shares in his testimony that he was just so angry and so hurt. He was in and out of juvenile hall from a young age. He was um, violent. He joined gangs, and he had lots of things that he struggled with. But you know what? At 17 years old, he was involved in a robbery and someone died in that robbery. And so he ended up getting sentenced to prison for five years to life in prison for that. And even then, he was angry with God. His father would keep telling him about Jesus and he would say, I don't wanna hear about him. You don't understand what it's like here. I don't wanna hear about him. And his dad would keep sharing about the love of Christ. But it'd be easy to look at Sam's story and be like, where was God in that? Where was God in his story? How could he end up in prison at 17 years old who had such a a hard family life, who grew up in such a hard town? He had so much going against him. How was God in that? And yet God met him in that prison. God was working through even situations that looked like they were negative, even situations that were ultimately a downward spiral as a result of his poor choices. God was still in that prison and God met him there. And when Sam left that prison miraculously after only just short of five years. He didn't even stay a full five years in that prison because of the transformation that God did in his life. He went into ministry, and he is still serving God today as a pastor and as a denominational leader. And you look at that, and you say, how is that possible? How can God still love, love Sam after all that he did? How can he still love us? even after we've outright rejected him, even after we've run away from him. But that's how amazing God's love is. Romans eight thirty eight, beautiful verse. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, up or down, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ, Jesus our Lord, amen. amen. Romans 5.8 says that for God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as we move into the next few weeks of Jonah's story, we're gonna see that not only does God love us, but that he came to set us free. He came to set us free. The worship team, can come up for now. I just this morning we're going to stop at this part of Jonah's story because I think it's important that we recognize whether or not where we're at. Where is our heart at? Are we running from God? And this morning, maybe you have been running from God. Maybe, um, maybe you've stopped loving or pursuing Him. In fact, I believe that if that is you, that God actually has showed his love to you, shown his love to you this morning, even through this message. He's trying to get your attention. He cares for you so much. He wants you to arise and to come up and to get out of that spiral that you've been in for way too long. He's calling those of you who haven't made a commitment to him, who haven't given your heart to him, or maybe you did, but you've walked away from him and you've tried to even run away from him. But he says, I love is still here for you. But even beyond that, church, this is not just for those who are in rebellion and, and not in relationship with the Lord. This is also for those who call themselves the family of believers. That's us. Because you recognize that we can still show up on Sundays we can still be a part of community groups we can still sing the worship songs up here we can still hang out with christians and we can still be running from god maybe you've been internally kind of checking out no one else notices no one else sees i'm still going through the motions and still doing all the right things but you know what i'm kind of harboring some bitterness right now towards god i kind of don't really like him right now i don't really like what he's asking me to do and you know what i'm I'm kind of, I'm just kind of not on a talking terms with God right now. Or maybe it's more like, you know what? I've just been going through the motions and I've just been resisting. I know he's asking me to do something, but you know, I'm just resisting so long. I have resisted that relationship so long. I don't even know where to pick it up again. I just feel so lost. I feel so empty. I feel so completely alone. God has never left you. He is still there. Maybe you have run from the manifest presence of God, but his omnipresence is there and he wants to manifest today in your life. He wants to show you that he is with you. He wants to remind you that his love is so real. So church, this is not just a call for the unsaved. This is a call for every single one of us right now because I I really believe that there are so many of us that have been going through the motions, that we are struggling, maybe our heart, we we intend to follow Christ, but there is something inside of us that is struggling to surrender. Whatever that call is that he's given to us, we're struggling to surrender that. Whatever he's asking us to change, whatever he's asking us to, to, to lay down to him, man, there's a battle inside. There's a battle inside. And you know what? That's always going to come out. And so we need to we need to come back to God and say, God, I, I surrender. Because until you do, there is no neutral. There is no neutral with God. If you are not climbing closer to Him, then you are in a downward spiral. Maybe your spiral is going to look slower than someone else's. I don't know. But I do know that ultimately the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly where your heart's at. And He is trying to not chastise you not to condemn you but to say I love you so much I need to warn you I need to warn you right now that that your your life is going in the wrong direction can you look to me can you arise can you wake up can you wake up and arise and can you look to me and can you put your faith in me again so right now if you could just everyone close their eyes I'd love just some privacy for all of us If this is you this morning, and again, it's not just for the unsaved, it's for everyone in this church, if they're even online. If you would say, you know what? I have been running from God in some area of my life, in some area. I want to stop today and I want to embrace his love. I want to stop today and say, no more God, I'm yours. If that's you, would you stand up church? Would you stand up and say, I will not run from God anymore? Thank you thank you I want to give my whole heart my whole life to him I want to rededicate it to him I'm standing with you right now because I want to give my whole heart to him there's so many ways that I have not been following after God the way I should be I've been apathetic in my walk with God but you know what no more today I'm standing up right here because I telling God I will follow you I will walk in obedience with you thank you Lord, right now, I just pray for every person in this room, Father, for those who are standing, for those who know that they should be standing. God, I pray right now that you would um, fill our hearts again with your passion, with your love, God. I pray that you would rekindle your spirit within us, Father. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would forgive us and that you would cleanse us of our sins. And God, I pray that we would walk, walk in unity with you, God, that we walk in relationship with you, Father. We desire you. We call out to you, Jesus. Jesus. We need you. We are desperate for you, God. I pray that you would expose every area of sin in this in our lives, God, that you would show us the places, God, that we are not submitting to you, God, that we are running from you. And I pray, God, that as you do, that we would release those things into your, into your presence, God, because your grace, your grace covers over those things. Your grace, God, covers over our sin. God, your sacrifice, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it purchased our forgiveness so that we can walk, God, in the freedom that you have purchased for us. We thank you so much, God, and we praise you. And and Jesus,